0: Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Well, good evening, Yvonne. Good to see you're in your library and with us tonight. So awesome.
2: Yeah. So for those, since we're not (laughs) doing this on video, you guys out there can't see me, but I have my virtual background on and it looks like this wonderful bookshelf because the room I'm sitting in is mess. So I'll expose these guys to my virtual background instead of, you know, the laundry basket that's sitting behind me. So good evening good morning, whatever time of day it is.
1: Good morning, whatever time it is. That red book that's right over your right shoulder, can you tell me what that is? No, means? I can't. Sorry. <laughs> the resolution's not not good enough on the photo. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I was watching a, a radio show who had a TV, a TV show, a guy who was a radio host who moved into TV, and he had the book, Behind him like that. And one day somebody wrote him a letter and said, I want to, I want to know what books you have on your bookshelf because I can't ever read them. So he started taking them out of the bookshelf. They were cardboard boxes with they pictures were props, of yeah. books. <laughs> they were props. It was so hilarious. He was like, Take this box and fold it up and ship it to this guy. Well, we <laughs> okay, skipped that whole step so and weird. we went all virtual. So nothing physical <laughs> back there at all. And Tom, how are you tonight? I'm great. Awesome. I see printer products on the table, but the printer is still missing. You killed printer it. Is the
3: yeah. Printer is gone. The printer is
1: gone. Poor printer. So, Lissa, Lissa joins us tonight from where? Lissa, where are you at? I am near Portland, Oregon. In the beautiful near Pacific Portland. Northwest. Okay. Awesome. Is it? Is the sun? Did the sun shine today? I mean, I'm just curious because that's happened so rarely.
0: <laughs> well, you know, the summers here are remarkably dry. It's it's one of those things that you know you, the the assumption is that it's just raining, raining, raining but really from about July to September, it's pretty darn dry here. We're actually in the middle of wildfire season.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I have a friend who moved to Seattle and he said he couldn't figure out why the houses were so cheap. So he bought a house and it had no garage. And he said, I couldn't figure out why this house was so cheap. but then he said he moved in and he was like, yeah, <laughs> now I know why this house was so cheap. <laughs> so- Yvonne, I'll turn it over to you sure. since you're here. You can.
2: Yeah. No. Um, so uh, Russ uh, ran across an article by uh, Lissa that we'll share in the in the um, show notes, but it's uh, entitled "Stress, Trauma, and PTSD in Cybersecurity." And I, uh, you know, I've read some articles about content moder- moderators and folks in the industry who experience, you know, mental health challenges re- regarding stress and PTSD because of the constant contact. Or uh, content that they're exposed to on a regular basis, and so I think first I'd like to understand from you, Lisa, what prompted you to write this post, and, and is there a particular you know field you were trying to
0: address, or you know just um yeah, what, where did it come from? So um, two things, I mean, like it, time wise, it was really the the pandemic this. You know, we are all under a whole lot more stress than usual right now. And we're kind of going through a worldwide trauma of sorts. And I saw a post from someone on Twitter that kind of started talking about some mental health issues, which, you know, my own background, like I, I started taking psychology classes in middle school as soon as I possibly could get in. My dad is a psychologist and so it's kind of, you know, like my, my you know, light fun reading when I was a little kid was psychology today. So it's always been something that's kind mm-hmm. of been an interest of mine and something that I have read an awful lot about. And in college, I did uh, some neurobiology classes and learned more about that and, and insomnia, weirdly, um, and just... It's been something that's kind of been the the ether of my life, as far as just this interest that is kind of ever present. And you know, it's a soup we're all swimming in, so it's very relevant, for sure, for sure. And I know you you go
2: through in that article, you talk specifically about PTSD and how it's we think of that particular uh, disorder associated with uh, war veterans, for example, but that really any any trauma can cause that. Have you seen or or how have you seen folks cope with the challenges or are there specific challenges associated with the IT field that maybe folks may not think about, but that are still there and maybe they need to be watchful for?
0: Well, one of the the kind of classic signs of PTSD is eternal vigilance. And I really can't think of an industry that is better at eternal vigilance. In IT, I mean, that's really what we're paid for is being eternally vigilant. And it makes me wonder, I mean, not necessarily, you know, that IT causes it, but it might attract people who have that mindset already. And so, you know, it, it could potentially be a sort of weird silver lining of, of having a PTSD, a PTSD is that, like, if you already have that inclination towards, you know, viewing things with a kind of an extra bit of paranoia, then maybe this is, you know, the, the uh, calling in terms of, of like, you can make something positive out of it.
1: <laughs> I was thinking that's going to be our new t-shirt. What's that? I'm in IT. Oh. Just ignore me if I'm paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that uh, a
2: couple years ago, I moved from a more operational role into a, a vendor pre-sales role. <laughs> and was, was joking, but, but I don't know that we were really joking about other folks who come over recently uh, about it taking months to get past the, the, the pager buzz or the phone ding of having to carry that constant, uh, device with you to let you know when there are issues that, that could constantly interrupt. And I know that, uh, for me, one thing I'm pretty vigilant about at this point in my life is that I have a very limited notification um, settings on, on my phone. And like, if you need me, you better text me because if you send me a Slack message or if you send me an email, like there's no guarantee I'm gonna see it. And I, I even when I'm on the phone with somebody whose phone is constantly dinging and binging and I can hear that in the background, I can feel my anxiousness rising, and I, I, I'm like, "Turn!" I told a guy once. I, we were on a call. He was a project manager, and his phone would go off every thirty seconds. I'm like, "Dude, please silence that when we're on this call." Like, I can't concentrate because that thing bangs, and I have this, you know, this emotional response to your phone dinging across the 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 phone call. And I'm like, you gotta turn it off. Like, and he teased me about it, but seriously, I couldn't focus. Like, he's like, you gotta stop that. I don't know how you live that way.
0: Well, you bring up a good point too about the, the the dosage. Like there are a lot of stressors in this industry and, you know, certainly notifications on your phone are designed to be stressful enough to get you to pay attention to them. And we all have to figure out ways to find the dosage that, you know, works best with our sanity, enough, you know, to get that balance right of like getting your attention versus overload.
1: Yeah. And, and I think part of it is, is that every one of those dings is an existential threat. <laughs> yes. To your yes. job, to your family. No, I'm it's I'm, Really, <laughs> it's that way. I mean, when you operate a network, I, you know, I very well remember walking into right. networks and, and um, walking to situations where they had lost eight, ten million $10 million in a matter of an hour or half an hour or or there are places I walked into that were losing 8 to 10 million dollars a minute and it's like you're killing a company with that type of loss because the network is down and you just can't do that you just you just can't it's it's just not done so you better get it get it right and get it working or otherwise you're responsible for other people losing their jobs and that destroys lives and you just can't that's just not It's not a good place to be. So every time you hear that ding, that's what you're thinking, right? You're thinking, wait, (laughs) this could be really bad.
3: That's the difference between us and normal people, right? Normal people hear their phone ding and they're like, oh, someone probably wants to send me a message or a cat (laughs) video. Oh, this is going to be so great. And we're like,
2: ah. Well, and for me, too, there was always the family balance part of it, right? Like, if this is a thing I need to deal with at work, then all of a sudden I am either uh, putting additional workload on my spouse to deal with the kids, or I'm having to say no to the kids if there's something that we've been looking forward to. And so all of those stressors take a toll over time.
1: Yeah, they do. And I think it's been easier for me in many ways because I came out of electronic engineering um, and my job was working on VORs, tacans and ILSs on airfields. And if they didn't work, airplanes crashed. And so that's the world I lived in before I came to network engineering. So when so I went this to global was a escalation, what you're telling us. And, yeah, that's exactly right. So I was going to say, when I went to global escalation and, and, and when I was at Cisco, I was like, people were like, this is so stressful. So, I'm like, yeah, well,
2: <laughs> at least it's very are unlikely right. anybody's going to die.
1: Well, so that leads me yeah. to a question,
3: Lisa. Exactly. I, I think a lot of this, a lot of this stress is actually pretty artificially manufactured. Like when someone says they're they're losing a million dollars a minute, I have a hard time believing that there are very many companies where that's actually true. Do you do you feel like is there sort of an overinflation of the like? Are we in some cases doing this to ourselves unnecessarily?
0: I think there's a, a bit of both. I mean, there are certain uh, stresses that get ignored. Just the the stress of having to to be wary of you know existential threats all the time but yeah there's there's certainly been times at least in my career anywhere where it was like you know oh the sky is falling oh my god what's like well okay i mean it certainly feels like that and i'm sure that's your perception but in the grand scheme of things this catastrophe isn't half as bad as the catastrophe over here and you know everybody needs to calm down like by about half And one of the things that I kind of learned when I was first uh, interacting with the press a lot was they really wanted the, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And so they wanted the you know, give me the most worst case scenario, like we're all going to die because of this malware, whatever, which I absolutely refused to give them. And that it was hard on my career initially is that I wasn't getting as much press coverage because I wasn't willing to say, oh, my God, the sky is falling that a lot of the industry seems to be moving more towards a, you know, a more balanced and um, nuanced view of threats, which is good. And I think is helping to deflate the, you know, stress levels overall, but yeah, it's but it's a real tough thing to to convince people that, you know, we don't have to go out with messaging that is like, Oh my God, everything's coming to an end, like, okay, well, yes, this is a really horrible vulnerability or malware or whatever, but, you know, X, Y, Z mitigating factors, X, Y, Z things you can do to protect yourself and that sort of thing. So I think there, there are certain overinflations in that sense that we like as an industry really need to dial back still, but there's a lot of things that just kind of are so much the, the water that we swim in that most people don't even notice it anymore. And it's just a a stress that has kind of been accepted as the, you know, you must, you have to accept this as part of the job.
1: I think, I think part of your question there, Tom, though, sorry, Yvonne, is that we have a cape syndrome anyway, right? We're IT people, We like to wear the cape. So sometimes we overblow things because when we get done with it, we want to think that we solved a really hard problem. Not something that's laid back. So go ahead, Yvonne. No,
2: there's absolutely a, a hero complex, and I think all of the uh, the challenges that we're talking about are heightened by what Lissa indicated early on is the, the the pandemic that you know so many of us are now working at home, and if if you don't have experience working at home, that is a big adjustment in and of itself. and, and I kind of made that transition several years ago. Um, when when I had my youngest, but there are things you can do in your own work environment to help. And you have to know yourself and you have to be self-aware. But I posted a long Twitter thread several days ago where I, you know, I, I talked about have a separate workspace that's dedicated to work, have regular working hours, build in margin. If you used to have margin on a commute to go to work and come from work, Develop your own personal routines to put some structure in your day so you get that mental shift from now I'm working and now I'm not working. And and even my kids now, they know the difference between mom's work day and when a day that mom's not working because she doesn't go into her office and sit at her desk on days she's not working. Even if I'm working on a personal project, I'll take my laptop and sit at the kitchen table or on the couch as opposed to working on it at my desk because I need that physical margin. And I think where travel to the office and travel from the office that was built in, I think we have to be more intentional about building that into our day to day now that we're at home all the time and uh, try to keep our worlds from commingling to the point where we can't tell the difference i mean turn it off when you're not working turn it off and
0: well, there's also the aspect of doom scrolling there's a lot of us right now who are just like trying to, to search the news to for something that's going to make us feel better and a lot of times that just makes us feel worse do like i i Don't noticed when i switched from being kind of in a position where i need to really be on top of the news in the industry switching from that to being less intimately involved with it like the The level of stress that I was getting rid of just making that one little change was absolutely huge. I hadn't realized how much of that just, you know, horror and doom and whatever that I was internalizing just day to day and how much it was accumulating over time.
3: I remember uh, early, early in my career, somebody who worked in security um, was telling me, he's like, it's a good thing you're in networking. And I said, well, why? What's, what's the problem with security? He said, the problem is you end up just looking over your shoulder all the time and you can never trust anybody or believe anything that anybody says. so it's a horrible, it's don't, don't come to security. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that sounds a little scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So moving on, I mean, I think over time this builds up to the point where you burn out, wouldn't you say, Lisa? I think that that's, yeah, I think that's the danger. That's one of the dangers besides destroying relationships, besides everything else that goes into it. Yeah. But the burnout, describe the burnout phenomenon for us a little bit. And uh,
0: burnout is, is kind of, it. there's not really a formal definition as such, or it's kind of like, it's starting to form. It's not like a diagnosis or anything like that. It's, um, you don't have the feeling that you have control over the things that are what should be your sphere of influence. So, like, if you're working in an IT department where you make recommendations about how to make the company safer and everyone just like, no, never mind, we can't afford that, or no, that's too restrictive, or whatever. And so, like, that feeling of a lack of control, lack of being able to influence the things that are problematic for you, that you know, over time will lead to a sense of burnout, just that kind of unrelenting sense of like, there's all these problems and there's there's little to nothing I can do to make a, a substantive change. And, you know, some of it is to just literally overworking, like, it, you know, turn things off at the end of the day. Like you need to have some sort of mental separation so that it's not, you know, work is not your entire life.
2: And I associate burnout with this pervasive, loss of enthusiasm right and even if you're not inclined to depression um or those kinds of things you just lose enthusiasm and everything feels like a drudgery and you don't get any joy or any satisfaction from from your work anymore and if and if you are feeling that way if that's your day-to-day experience it's time to do something um and and you know make make a change because that's not healthy and ultimately can perfect affect your job performance it'll affect your relationships um and and it, you'll just stay in this state of misery and um that's not good for anybody
0: <laughs> no and it does absolutely spill over onto all, all sorts of aspects of your life and like you it may be that you're you know feeling super unmotivated in your job and sometimes you'll feel super unmotivated in you know, stuff outside of your job as well. It's like hard to get the executive function to like do household chores or do hobbies that you even enjoy. And it's, it is, you know, very similar sort of, to a sort of depression in that kind of numbing sense of the word.
1: So would you say that's a good way to recognize the the symptoms of burnout, that it's like this numbness or this lack of joy, or, or how would you?
0: It can certainly be. I mean, like I, it, it, Manifest manifests differently for different people. I, they, I used to joke about the five stages of employment, kind of like the, the stages of grief. And, you know, <laughs> you start out, you're really idealistic. And then, like, over time, you just kind of go through these stages of, like, oh, this is never going to change. And, you know, it, there have even been times where I've gone past the numbness into well, the stage I called hilarity. Like this is so messed up. I really can't do anything about it. There's nothing to do but laugh. And just you know, you get weird and punchy. And <laughs> like everyone's experience of it is a little bit different, but, you know, it there's definite stages of of that are similar to a kind of grief. It's so funny
2: because you say that. And I also read an article not long ago that that basically the Gartner hype cycle was also structured after the stages of grief. So that's that's just an interesting tangent here.
1: Unfortunately, it's true. Yes. Yes. You know, <laughs> uh, in the
2: denial and, and, you know, the denial and disillusionment and, uh, and then eventually, you know, acceptance, right? Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I have a thing about this and I probably shouldn't spend too much time talking about the Gartner hype cycle, but I still remember back in the day when, when I first got in networking and, I first started becoming aware of Gartner, and there was a big thing in Gartner about ATM and how ATM to the desktop was going to take over and how it was going to change everything. And they had these big charts up and to the right. We we call them all the time, up and to the right. It's going to be so many deployments of a 25-gig ATM to the desktop. And then I started watching every one of these, and I started realizing that almost none of them come true. Almost none of them come true. And I started like, okay, I'm just not paying attention any longer because frankly, there's just no point here. Like I'm not getting anything out of paying attention to this, which is sad, but I don't know, you know, is that. But there's a,
2: there's an interesting connection from that to what we were talking about with the news media or the security media or the technology media. They are always looking for the most salacious Um, side of the story and they want you to have an emotional reaction they want you know they want your heart rate to go up a little bit they want you to be like oh I need to leave this or the the fear of missing out right and uh and and those are the things in ourselves that we have to have a certain degree of self-awareness about so that we can uh, kind of counteract that. And again, for me, it's building in structure. I'm not gonna check the news every hour on the hour. I have today, I don't know when this will release, but but uh, but uh, the hurricane hit last night. And so I've been checking it probably more frequently than normal today, but still with an awareness that there's only so much that I can do, and yes, there are tragedies, and yes, there are objective realities that should um, concern us. At the same time, like I, I can't let that consume me, um, and I think one of the things that's super helpful um, is to track your progress and to... Keep a list and mark things off of it that you can look back and go, oh, I'm terrible about not acknowledging the things I've done successfully, about all the things I've done good I sort of blow off and the things that I mess up on end up huge in my mind. And so to to have systems where you keep track of those things, you can look back and go, oh, I did this and I did this thing and it was good. Um, And I think sometimes we are terrible about that in our industry.
0: Yeah. And weirdly, like for a job that, uh, you know, if we're doing a good job, no one knows we're doing it. Yeah. We all need to be better at kind of like it's almost like a gratitude list for for work. It's like I did this thing today and this was very cool. And that, you know, could potentially go on a resume, could potentially go to, uh, you know, letting your manager know what you're doing that, that justifies your salary or a promotion or whatever. That's something that we should all be a lot more serious about in this industry. When
2: I've started keeping a list of objectively positive feedback I receive, not because I you know, I want to look at it and go, oh, I'm amazing. But every now and then I need like a reminder. If I have a day when I feel like I'm not getting much done, I pull that up and I go, OK, these are objectively positive things. They're not touchy feely. They're not like if somebody gives me a compliment and it's objective and it's measurable and I can be like, oh, yeah, I did that thing. I write it down. That way I can go back. And those are some things that I do to kind of help me keep my sanity because it's, it's crazy
0: times. Yeah. And it's something that managers can look at as well. Like, you know, keep an eye on your employees. And if you do see that, you know, there's sudden, sudden drops in productivity or they just, an attitude change, keep an eye on your reports and, and, you know, check in with them. Make sure that everything's going okay that they're not having problems that feel out of their control.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about um, just this concept of things being overly stressful and when they probably shouldn't be. You hinted there a little bit, Lissa, about um, going back and talking to your people about what they're feeling and stuff. Now, that feels to me like we're, we're into the territory of how do I treat people better so that they'll stick around? How do I make this job more tolerable?
0: Well, yeah, I, there, there are a ton of things that, that managers can do and certainly, you know, just keeping tabs on your employees and checking in with them regularly and giving them, you know, both positive and negative feedback when necessary. And well, I guess more than is necessary. Just, you know, make sure that you're, you're checking in with them to make sure that, that they're giving you what they need to be giving you and they're getting from you what they need to be getting from you. So a lot of it is, is just, you know, treating your employees as if they're human beings. I know that it's, you know, the whole work is family thing has like its own problems, but there is kind of uh, a, you know, parental sort of situation as far as like, if you are a manager, your part of your task is to make sure that the, the people who are reporting to you are able to function. And, you know, making sure that they are able to get their life balanced with their work. So it's not, you know, completely lopsided because of, you know, X, Y, or Z, uh, you know, structural situation or whatever at work. And your job is to make them more effective. And part of that is just making, you know, realizing that work is only the thing that they do for half their waking hours. The other half needs to be, you know, not work. adulting at home, <laughs> not work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah,
2: well and there are it. really practical things that managers can do as well. Uh it's it you can spot a when a person is really committing a lot of time to their job and sometimes you can spot it when it's unhealthy. So first of all, model it. Don't send out emails at 11 p.m. Like if you're writing emails at 11 p.m., use the send a later function. So that they go out at 8.30 in the morning. So you can write them, but then they can be delivered later. That way I've done that, like because I've never wanted to give the impression that I'm willing to work all hours of the night. So if I happen to be up because I can't sleep or whatever and I'm sending an email, I'll use send later so that it goes out at 8.30 in the morning, not in the middle of the night. Um, and you can, um, you know, don't take advantage of that employee that's always willing to jump in no matter what time you reach out to them. If 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 they're not on call, but you're like, oh, they'll do it if I ask them. Don't ask them. Go to the on call. Give them their break, even if they don't know they need to ask for it. There are things that you can do to help model those healthy boundaries for your people and And to keep them healthy as much as you can, I mean, you everybody's kind of got to own their own mental health, but at the same time, there are things you can do to enforce good behavior that's that's healthy and good for their long- term benefit.
0: One of the times where i've I've had the best work life balance it, it was a place where we kind of had a culture of calling each other out if we were writing emails at one o'clock in the morning because you couldn't sleep or, you know, when you're supposed to be on vacation or something.
3: I don't think it, all of this has to be from the manager either. Um, I've, I've had, I've had peers that have helped me with this. Hey, you've been sending emails at crazy times. You're getting a lot done. Can I, are you okay? Or if they can see that I'm having a problem, a hard time, Hey, can I take that for you? Uh, you know, can I help? I, I think if, I think we could do more of that. We could do more of looking after each other um just from because, uh, A peer, really, you have nothing to gain, right? So when someone says to me, when one of my peers says, hey, can I help you? I know that it's a a pure intent for the most part. And I think we could do do more of that.
2: And one of the things that I've observed now that I'm not so directly into day-to-day operations is a lot of times the folks that are doing the hands-on keyboard work take ownership of things that they just shouldn't. Like they have made recommendations and, and this is so true for security professionals, Right. You've made a recommendation. We need to do this. You have the knowledge and the skill set to know that there is a brewing storm coming. <laughs> you know, you know that there's either a vulnerability in your environment or there is an inefficiency that ultimately scale is going to catch up. And there's going to be, you can't say exactly when it's going to break, but it's going to break. And that it's just a matter of time. And so often, IT professionals warn and they cajole and they request budget and then they don't get it. And people make decisions that are out of the boots on the ground person's control. But then ultimately, when things break, they are either blamed or minimally still responsible for cleaning it up. And there you can't always control that situation. But you can in your own mind not take ownership of it and not own the entire failure as your fault because ultimately like you need budget to fix problems you need staff to fix problems you need um, time and resources that aren't under your control and so be careful not to take so much ownership in hindsight I realized I did a lot of that for decisions that were completely outside of my control. And the
0: difficulty of that sometimes can be that that security people can be seen as disposable in that, like, if they don't take care of the things that they weren't, uh, you know, given budget or people or whatever to take care of, they're going to be the one whose head is on the chopping block if when something goes wrong. So it can be really difficult to say, you know, I'm just going to step back and only do what I'm supposed to do, knowing that, you know, in four years time when the breach happens, that it's your head that's going to be on the line.
1: Yeah. Completely. And, and that, that goes back to the existential problem, right? That is that is essentially it, right? We are, <clears throat> we feel like we're responsible and it doesn't matter whether or not we really are. But in a way we are responsible because if we don't fix it and it doesn't get fixed, we're the ones who catch the blame for it. It doesn't really matter whose fault it really is. That's kind of beside the point. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's all very true. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. Do you have any other questions, Yvonne, before we?
2: Um, I, there is something that I always say, and I, I think I want to be sure that we say before we leave. Anytime I'm in a conversation about, um, you know, mental health or struggle, like if you need help, get help. Lots of people have gotten help and get help. I have gotten help more than once in my life sometimes for postpartum depression, other times for challenges at work or in my relationships. And there is, there's no shame in that. So if you need help and you feel like you're not functioning, uh, get it. If it's uh, talking to a friend, do that. If it's somebody who's got expertise in a certain area, do it, but, but don't suffer and not get help because there are people who can help. And often what you will find is that your struggles are not as rare as you might believe they are. There's somebody else going through it and who has been through it, who can help. And so just don't don't suffer um, needlessly, I guess. So I, I think that's one thing I always want to be sure we say when we have these conversations. Wow,
1: that's, that's really profound, Yvonne. Actually, that's really, that's an important, very, very important point to make to people is if, again, we live in a culture, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, That is very much, we are the strong people on the block. We know what we're doing. We can handle it. And we don't ask for help. You know, it's the proverbial joke about the guy who never goes to the doctor. Well, the entire IT industry is a guy (laughs) who never goes to the doctor. Okay. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it really is. And we need to stop that. We need to be more vulnerable, more willing to be vulnerable. And not with everybody, but along. with a
2: small circle. Yeah, not with everybody. Yeah, you don't have yeah. to go on Twitter and tell everybody all of your business. Um, but you should have a, a friend or two, and and maybe you know somebody with a, who's hung a shingle on the door who who knows how to help and 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 they've seen it. It's it's just we we think our struggles are very unique, but they're oftentimes not, and that may yeah. make us even yeah. feel small. But that's not the worst thing. <laughs>
1: This is, this is why I'm not on Twitter very often because too many people do. You don't like the quality (laughs) content on Twitter, Russ? (laughs)
2: Curate, man. You got to curate. Mute. (laughs)
3: Lock. They're great tools.
1: (laughs) So awesome. So Tom, anything else?
3: No, it's been
1: great having you on, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. So Lisa, where can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you? Since, since so, um, you know you're going to be you're going to now be the uh, the counselor everybody turns to. I'm just warning you know.
0: <laughs> well, I'm on LinkedIn. as Lissa Myers, and uh, my website is blossoms to breaches dot com.
1: Okay, explain that to us. What does blossoms to breaches mean?
0: Blossoms to breaches. So my in, my entry into this industry was a little bit unusual. I wanted to go into landscape architecture, and I got waitlisted in college, and so I started out. Uh, My career as a florist, and I kind of got sick of getting laid off every summer and took a job as a receptionist at McAfee 20 some odd years ago. And kind of the rest is history. I I was sufficiently curious and motivated to help people that I stuck around for an awful long time.
1: That's a really cool story, actually. Uh, that That is really, really neat. Okay, cool. So LinkedIn is the primary place. Tom, do you have any place anybody can get in touch with you since you don't blog? Uh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Every time.
3: LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and Twitter. <laughs> the beatings will continue.
0: Yeah. Till morale improves, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this has been running for a long time. I can't give up now. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Hedge, and we'll catch you next time.
2: Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow
1: along at rule11.tech.